Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, this is Amir. And this is also Amir. And you're listening to the You Don't Love Me podcast. Life from the perspective of a gay South Asian married couple. Enjoy. Hello. Hi, how are you doing, babe? I'm doing rather well. Oh, you called me babe. I got you, babe. Babe is also a pig. And now you've ruined it. (laughs) Hi, babe. Hi, I'm really excited about the guest we've got this week, by the way. Yes, I know you are. <laughs> I can tell. You've been excited for a long time. You know what? Oh, I'm, yeah, that's very true. And so are you, girl. Yeah, we've got a really exciting guest today. But before that, hello, everyone. I hope you enjoyed the jingle. You're welcome. I am, of course, Amir, the la- rather large one. Oh. Oh, self-defecating jokes I'm making. Defecating? <laughs> Oh, deprecating. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's a self-deprecating. <laughs> this is a separate issue. Yes. Why do you I've... reintroduce yourself, babe? Okay, let's do it again. Come uh, on. Hi everyone. This is Amir, the one who is also Lady Bushra. Well, how about you just Amir with one A? Oh hi everyone. This is Amir with one A. Like people know from our voices who we are now, babe. Isn't that interesting about me? Hi, this is Amri with the double A, the most amazing, sickening bitch on the planet. Oh, wow. Well, you could have come up with something great like me. Not everyone can be like Grammy Award winning artists like me. Uh, in my yearbook, I was voted most likely to be Miss Sickening 2020. Girl, no, you weren't. <laughs> in my, do you know what? In your yearbook, what were you voted as? Were you voted as anything? We didn't have a yearbook for my year. We didn't have any budget. <laughs> they, they would... <laughs> <laughs> Typical of our school. They would do a yearbook, I think, once every four years or something. So we missed out. But I lived through my brother's yearbook <laughs> when his came out because they'd take everyone's picture in the in the year, wouldn't they? Yeah. And I was like, oh my God, look at me in year eight. And then that's it. I <laughs> I won like loudest and chattiest. Oh, for fuck's sake. Something, something like that. Yeah, loudest and chattiest. Or like loudest male and chattiest male and stuff like that. You are incredibly loud and chatty. <laughs> But it gets worse when you have coffee. I, which doesn't happen often. I really want another coffee today, though, babe. I'm You've been a having walk. a lot of coffee recently. Yeah, a couple of weeks. Yeah. I want another one today. Okay. Maybe, like, mm, so good. Like, especially from Starbucks. an interesting 
conversation that we're having. So yeah, the coffee range at Starbucks is amazing right now. Like they have the gingerbread latte out and they have all this other stuff that I don't remember, but I'm going to get one today. Wow. Uh, well, meanwhile, Pretz just stood there like, I'm just a piece of shit now, aren't I? Well, so it's not It's all fault. about Starbucks. It's not my fault that Pretz there. My, do you know my mom loves Costa though? Like, she's Costa to, queen. I want to return my brand loyalty to Cafe Nero. We you know have, what? You do that. We have been estranged for about seven years now. <laughs> but I'm willing to make it work if Cafe Nero are willing to make it work. By the way, the Cafe Nero that where we live near, this is just me making an observation that it is, of no, conse- it is of no consequence. Please do not write me letters. It's the f- favorite coffee shop for a lot of Arab people. Yeah, it's really cool because it's like you're sort of abroad because obviously out of lockdown a bit or like tea or whatever that we were in before. Like they have tables outside, little ones and inside and they all get these little coffees and they sit around and they meet in their groups and it's really cool. Oh, it's really cool. I'm like, oh, I'm abroad or something. Very yeah, that. Cafe Nero seems to be popular with Arab people. Why is that? The gays have taken over Starbucks the older generation like Costa, Arabs like Cafe Nero. That is such a generalization for everything. Guys, if you're listening, you can like whatever you want. Yeah, guys. And if you're listening and you heard that Arabs like Cafe Nero and you're not going to go there anymore, go fuck yourself. Stop listening, you racist piece of shit. Racist, racist, racist. Yeah. Talk, speaking of racism. Okay. God, the reaction to the Sainsbury's ad, girl. Let's keep this short and sweet because it doesn't even deserve that much airtime. Sainsbury's advert... And the racist backlash towards the Sainsbury's advert, which is absolutely appalling, disgusting, and exposes you little racist that shouldn't even shop anywhere. You don't deserve to shop. Yeah, and they all say that they're going to boycott Sainsbury's. They're not going to. If you want to buy a meal deal in Sainsbury's Locals is around the corner, that's where you're going to go. So stop even, try, stop, stop even trying to act all big and hard. Also, I think that a lot of them have been inspired by The Crown because it's kind of coincided around the same time. And in The Crown... There's an episode whereby the Queen is very pro-Commonwealth and Margaret Thatcher is against um, ending the apartheid or, you know, putting sanctions in order to end the apartheid for other political economic reasons or whatever. And when the Queen intervenes, the newspapers ran the story calling her the African Queen. And I reckon that's just stirred up some bullshit um, sentiments and some nobodies. And now they're protesting the Sainsbury's advert. Basically, their lack... Anything. See, I disagree. Okay. I, I don't know if it's anything to do with the crown, if I'm honest with you. I think you're giving them weirdly credit for some weird shit. I think these people are just out and out racist and they're full on All Lives Matter crew and they're full on tired of people trying to fight for equality. And the stuff they're saying, like, oh, I didn't know it was like, wasn't a white Christmas anymore. Well, white Christmas isn't about people being white. Like, I don't, it's about snow. I don't understand that issue, honestly. <laughs> it's really not that deep. Like, they're okay with having, like, aliens on the adverts and carrots on the adverts, you know, celebrating Christmas. But God forbid black people celebrate Christmas. Can you believe? It's outrageous, isn't it, Armour? Christianity <laughs> is a huge religion. Like, you have brown, black people you have white people you have chinese people like it's literally all over the world you cannot make it an exclusively white holiday it is it, it actually does not make sense i would argue that potentially more people of color celebrate christmas than white people mm, maybe yeah probably well yeah, yeah. if you, you can consider, consider the, world. the world population oh population, yeah yeah but also like when we when we talk about religion here like christianity are we saying that every white person that celebrates Christmas is a Christian? I don't think. Well, like, I as... think I think it's just part of, like, the national holiday. Therefore, I genuinely believe that is why in 
you know, this country especially, loads of people celebrate Christmas from, you know, Muslims to Christians celebrate Christmas. All races, all religions, people that are not Christians celebrate it because it's a national holiday. Well, as a white Christian, I can tell you that I celebrate Christmas because <laughs> I am white and Christian. But there you go. But like, that's what I mean. Like people... A lot of the youth don't, they might have been like christened, but they don't identify as like, you know, we're going to be we're really religious, we're like Christians. We, they just celebrate Christmas and have a good time with the family and, it's you know, have some public, presents. It's a public holiday yeah, as and far it, as I'm it's concerned. A, it's a, it's yeah, a warm I get public it. holiday. Yeah, I get it that we're a Christian nation and we are monarchy, blah, blah, blah. But really, we're, we're fairly secular, I'd say. You know, it's, it's not a idea. lot of it, a lot of what we do and how we do it as a society, British society, we're fairly secular, I would argue. And, um, you know, our laws or, or our sort of main legislation or whatever is enshrined in religion. That's fine, cool, work, whatever. But I think our society in general is very fairly secular. And that's um, reflected in the Christmas adverts because the Christmas adverts are multicultural and um, there's not much religious notions in the adverts. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's just the way that society is. And this is just a bunch of archaic individuals who just want to push a particular narrative. And you know what? I get it. This country has a predominantly white population. There is absolutely nothing wrong with that. That's perfectly fine. But you cannot deny the fact that there is an overwhelming uh, number of people who identify as people of color. And therefore, if art is to imitate life, you will have people of color in your Christmas adverts. Of course. but Get I want, over it. I want to say identify as people of color. They are people of color. Can you not identify as no, a person No, don't. Of that's color? just down the dangerous route because that means, like, let's stick some tan on. I'm a person of color because I identify as it. No, but what if somebody is like one eighth Indian and the rest white? Oh, girl, you're a mess. A bit you're yeah, an actual I'm mess. Saying, I'm, uh, it's a genuine you're a mess. question. But also, saying that, as times move forward, guess what? Things are going to change. If you look at like statistics, is it 25% of primary school kids are BAME? Wow. Because obviously different races are um, marrying and having children and being together. People of different faiths and backgrounds are coming together now, which is amazing. Yeah, I think I read somewhere that like in 50 years time or something, the vast majority of people will be like what we regard as people of color or something. Work. I think so. Something like that. Or I might just be making stuff up. I'm Probably. Full, I'm full of lies today, aren't I? Today. <laughs> Today, do you know what he does? He just he, sometimes he turns around and he says, "Oh my god, this!" And I'm like, "Oh really, really, really? You sure?" And he's like, "Yeah, sure, babe." I think it's time to introduce our guest. Oh, it definitely is because we go on and on and on. But we should in, uh, talk a little bit about them, shouldn't we? Okay, yeah. So when we both have a connection with this guest in different ways, don't our, we? Yeah, absolutely. And our guest today, of course, is the one and only Nina Wadia. Legend, icon, everything, talent, talent, breaking down the glass ceiling, the walls, the roof. How nice was it recording with her? You know what? It was absolutely brilliant. Like, just so warm. Okay, I'm going to say it. She was my favorite guest. So oh, far. girl. Everyone else is a close second. <laughs> but no, but I know, you, I, I know what you mean. She was very warm, very lovely, very inviting, and really open. Yeah, very giving and just very inspiring and uh, very, you know, very inspirational in terms of who she is and what she's achieved and what she fights for and what her point of view is. It was very, very interesting. And, you know, she is somebody who has been 
heavily influential on us in terms of growing up uh, with the work that she's done. You know, she was part of uh, the iconic um, sketch show, Goodness Gracious Me. Oh, yeah. And of course, who can forget Zainab from EastEnders? EastEnders. Yeah, absolutely. And these were huge shows and they really did help shape what people's perceptions were of the South Asian community growing up for us. So it was an honor having her on. Yeah, it was absolutely brilliant. And I cannot thank Nina Wadia enough. But I think we should, you know, let people listen to the interview before we give too much away. Yes, agreed. Without further ado, guys and girls and everything in between, here is Nina, Nina Wadia. Hello, how are you guys? Oh, we're good. Thank you. How are you? I'm fine. I'm fine. I keep getting messages on Instagram saying, please, can someone give you a tick? And I don't know what that means, by the way. So I'm just oh, it like... means um, a verification. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, really they keep popping up, so I'm going to leave it to you guys now to do it. <laughs> oh, of course. Of course. Yeah. Now that we've connected, do you know what? I have, a, I have an IT background, so... Um, I'm a whiz at these things. Don't worry. Yay, so, yeah, <laughs> it's basically basically blue tick is 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 it's where it's at right now, Nina. What what it means is is that it proves the fact that you are who you are. So if oh. you're a public figure and you've got mm-hmm. a blue tick, then it's like, oh my gosh, you know. You're that <laughs> well, <person."> that's <laughs> crazy because this. So I met you guys because of Instagram, and it's because my daughter kept driving me nuts, saying, "Mom, you should be on Instagram," and I go. Do I really have to? Um, and so ever since I've joined, which is not very long ago, I keep getting these messages from people. I don't even know how to reply to most of them. <laughs> Luckily, I managed I to reply it. to yours because you'll seem very, very sweet. And I've been um, looking at all your little pictures and things, and I'm so proud of the both of you. So um, that's why I'm proud to be on your show. Oh, Thank you so, really so much. You, that means the world. It really, really, it really, does. really, really does. You are a household name and I would say a cultural phenomenon in sure. terms of the great work that you've done and the, the fantastic representation that you have been for us. So we would like to get to know you a little bit more. I don't care for our listeners right now. I want to know <laughs> you a lot more. Um, and um, yeah, so we've got a few questions for you. Go for it. So tell us a little bit about yourself. So you're, you're from a Parsi family and you are a Maharashtrian. So um, that's well, where, where things started off for you, right? Yeah. So I, I'm a, a Parsi. Uh, I was born in um, Bombay and my parents, uh, sort of my heritage is actually from Persia, now Iran, Iraq, of course. Um, and because I grew up in Bombay, I ended up speaking Hindi, Marathi, Gujarati, sort of, you know, just all the languages I could possibly think of. And then when I was nine years old, my parents decided that they, my dad was not going to work with the airlines anymore. Uh, we were going to go and open a restaurant in Hong Kong. It was just oh, wow. really bizarre. I was, wow. I remember literally them, my dad coming home going, right. I don't want to fly anymore. We're going to go do something entirely different. I've been offered this job. And next thing I know, we're packing bags. And I'm thinking, what's <laughs> going on? We're going to a completely different country. I know nothing. I know no Chinese. I know nothing. And the thing <laughs> I was going to miss the most was my Bharat Natyam classes in Vajanti Mala school in, in, in uh, Mahim. Oh, wow. Because I, wow. I, like, I wanted to be a dancer so bad when I was little, desperate to be a dancer. 
So, of course, we then moved to Hong Kong. Uh, I'm age nine. And the first thing I say to mom is, I want to go to my Bharatnatyam classes. <laughs> Do they have them in China? No. <laughs> no, I know. Vijanti Mala, if you're listening, you need to open up a school in Hong Kong. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Can you imagine? I, I was obsessed with her when I was younger. She was like... You know, a goddess to me, just the way that even even her acting, you know, her and uh, Raj Kapoor. So I kind of had a love for film and everything from a very, very young age. And then in Hong Kong, the only equivalent, because my parents took me to ballet. I was like, ah, I don't like ballet at all. It doesn't make any noise is what I said as a nine-year-old. So instead, I learned tap. (laughs) <laughs> oh wow. wow that that is that well i can see, kind of see a connection with Bharatnatyam and tap i suppose because there's a lot yeah. of footwork isn't there with Bharatnatyam? there is but there are extremely different styles and that Bharatnatyam is very flat-footed um you know like my teachers would literally stand on my feet to flatten them um to get the wow. right sound i'm not joking it was horrible <laughs> oh gosh i mean i I've done bits of Kathak and my gosh, you, it really does make you sweat wearing the dancing bells oh, and, yes. and, and yeah. doing it all. And I remember learning about Bharatnatyam and I believe with Bharatnatyam, the uh, belief is that the, how, I don't know, it's something to do with gravity or something. There's a reason why you bend at the knees, isn't there? Yes. Yeah. It yeah. Is. It's very, very much so in the, the right proportion of weight that you put when you're dancing. And tap is the exact opposite. You know, it's very, very light. You've got to be really light on your feet and your feet have to be really loose. And it actually helps if you have very high arches. So I went from one dance form where they destroyed my arches to having another dance form where I had to kind of build them up, you know. So it was, um, it was a big learning curve from a very young age. And on top of that, I was waitressing at my father's restaurant, which didn't help. So. <laughs> oh, gosh. Wow. <laughs> So you you said you wanted to become a dancer. So how yeah. did you go from that into acting? My my parents had lived here in the fifties, but my mum didn't like England very much, so she moved back to uh, to Bombay. Um, and I uh, remember I was doing my A levels in Hong Kong, and I used to always write little comedy sketches. I used to just write things that used to come into my head, and because I'd lived in India and then lived in a kind of um, non-Indian country, I always found that Indians are treated very differently, whether they're in England or whether they're in Hong Kong or wherever in the world. You know, Indians have whatever their rep is. And our reputation was always, oh, they're very hardworking. They want to earn money. They'll keep their shops open till 10 o'clock at night. And, you know, mm-hmm. it was all the kind of very stereotypical things. But I thought that was quite funny. I remember that there were lots of review shows we would do on a kind of Friday night. And the teachers started to come to them because they were like, who's writing this? This is really fun. So I then went on to write for my friends. And one of the girls I'd written for, um, she was very ill. And I knew the lines, of course, because I'd written them. And my friends were like, well, don't want to cancel the review. You take her place. You perform. And I was like, no, no. Because as as confident as I was in uh, dance, I was completely unconfident when it came to acting. So... Uh, I had to take a deep breath because they were like, come on, you got to do it, you got to do it. And so I went on and I performed sketches and people laughed. And the feeling that I got from that laughter was, I, I assume what it would be like to do some very heavy drugs. <laughs> <laughs> so, I remember thinking, this is it. This is what I want to do for a living. Um, and it literally happened in that one 
review show in my A-levels. And my brother had actually come to see that performance. And he's very corporate. He's not in the arts at all. And he actually turned around and came up to me at the end of the show and he went, you should do this for a living. He said, you should definitely do this for a living. And that's when the challenge started. <laughs> wow, because... so you were bitten by the acting bug. Oh, completely, completely. And then there was the dreaded fear of having to go home and say to my mum and dad, you know, I don't want to do law because it was law, law, law right up to that last moment. And I'd always believed I wanted to do law because my mum was particularly passionate about it. But then after this incident, I remember having to go home and go, I can't do it. I can't tell her. I'm not going to do law. <laughs> I was so scared. <laughs> oh, wow. How did they react to that? Um... Well, it's strange because my, my dad, you know, has always been sort of a real kind of very high energy person, very full of laughter and just full of fun. And, you know, he actually kind of went with it. But my mom, oh, she was so upset with me. She was genuinely hurt. And she was like, fine. Yeah, do whatever you want to do, you know. And then didn't talk to me for about three months. <laughs> oh, wow. That, that's the silent treatment. The good old South Asian <laughs> yeah, silent treatment, eh? Mom, you know, mum kind of guilt trip. <laughs> <laughs> um, but unfortunately, I did not fall for it. And um, as hard as it was, I went through it and I applied for drama schools. And I had a choice of going either to New York or going to London from Hong Kong. And I love the classics. I love Shakespeare in particular. So I, of course, it was no brainer that I was going to study in the UK. Uh, we applied, I think I applied in writing in those days, can you imagine letters, not even email, to about mm. 60 drama schools. Just I just applied to every single thing thinking, you know, will I get in, will I not? And I only ever kind of heard back from one drama school called the London Theatre School in Wandsworth. And so I sort of said, yeah, great. And I flew over and uh, stayed with my uncle in Ealing and went to this drama school. And when my parents finally flew out to move back to the UK, they came to see me. And it was a Thomas Middleton play I did called Women Beware Women. Mm. And uh, my mum saw it and came up to me and said, yeah, yeah, this is this is very good. And she became my number one fan after that. I think she just oh. needed to see me perform, to be honest, to get what I wanted to do. Yeah, it was that it was that protective instinct in her that that perhaps kicked in initially, and and then when she saw you excel, she was like, "Yep, this is where 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 you're at, and you're you're a natural, I suppose." Oh, uh, I think I mean yes, they they felt that, and for me, you know, it was literally a case of there is nothing else I want to do with my life, like literally, like nothing else mattered. It's it's kind of what I. Imagine it would feel like if you fall in love at first sight, where you just go, no, this is the person for me. Which is why with my kids, you know, my daughter's about to be 17. She loves fashion. It's her app. She lives, breeds, eats, you know, art and fashion. And mm. I've said to her, great, if that's what you want to do, do it. And, you know, she said, mom, that's so cool. She says she's got so many other friends at her school who, you know, the parents are still, still in this day and age going, yeah, doctor, no, engineer, no, lawyer. And I'm thinking, when will we ever learn? <laughs> you know, you know what, just... we, st we, st we still have so far to go. And I, oh, yes. I, I, I work in education. I've been a teacher for over six years. Mm -hmm. And even when I talk to parents and they're like, oh, you know, my Asian son can't take English at A-level because that's yeah. not, you know, a proper A-level. And I'm like, this is the thing that 
um, exceeded in and you know done so well in and love and yeah it is a proper one and they don't have to be a lawyer and they don't have to do x y and z and it's still such an argument so it's really refreshing to hear someone say go and do what you want to do yeah as you know if you life i mean especially living through this pandemic life is so short you know i've i've sadly lost friends to this pandemic and i i'm just going come on come on guys you know just as long as you're happy in your life you don't have to be a multimillionaire you know i live in a little bungalow i don't even you know everyone always thinks oh if you're an actor you've got these huge houses and everything money is the least important thing in life genuinely mm. it's human connection it's being kind to people and it's the philosophy of being a good parsi you know being a parsi your entire religion is based on three words which translated mean good thoughts good words good deeds just be mm. a good freaking human being that's all you ever have to be in life and you will have a nice life it's when you get greedy and ambitious and want this and want that that you will never be satisfied in life and you know those are words my my father had told me before he passed away and they are so true they are so true just mm. genuinely kindness and goodness will bring you happiness let go of everything negative so true and and as you say it's it, it, it you know it's even more true way if that's even correct english yeah. you know given the fact that we're in a we're in a it's such a, a critical time right now so that's incredible i think it's interesting that you mentioned that you know the mindset of the south asian community is still yeah. around doctor lawyer engineer yeah but goodness gracious me really did break the mold and it shone a really strong spotlight on what it means to be a south asian in in the the western hemisphere yeah Talk to us a little bit about how that came about. I mean, for for those of you, our listeners who are living under a rock and don't know what <laughs> goodness gracious me is, it is up there with one of the best comedy sketch shows of all time. Still like now, we were we watching it this year. Yeah, we were watching it even this year until the BBC decided to take a pause on it for whatever yeah. reason. But anyway, I'm I'm writing daily to Ofcom about that. But um, you know, <laughs> it is it a cultural phenomenon and it is a show that i'm as you can tell deeply passionate about and uh, something like that is missing from our uh, our television screens and, and and i'm quite sad about that but tell us about how how that show came about sure um so well the, there's two routes it came through so there was a, a an all black comedy show on tv called the real mccoy that covinda and mira were involved with Mm-hmm. and uh on the other side and they lived actually it's funny because they were in east london and sanjeev baskar and myself were in west london and mm-hmm. sanjeev has happened lived a road away from where i lived um <laughs> but we met in the east end um i was doing a comedy show that i'd co-written with a few friends called do you eat with your fingers and this was a show be- that came about because i'd gone to a restaurant with uh, a bunch of white friends i was the only indian person and the waiter came and handed out you know uh the cutlery and crockery to everyone but he didn't give me any cutlery and i remember looking at him going hey mujhe kyun nahi diya i want cutlery <laughs> so he looks at me and he goes you do you eat with your hands and walked off <laughs> oh, oh my god <laughs> i remember just bursting out laughing i mean he did it in a really negative misogynistic way um but I just found it hilarious and I told my white friends what had happened and they were furious but I was like this is genius so I thought right that's what I'm going to write about so we came up with this um play called do you eat your fingers 
And as I was doing that show, I got seen by Anil Gupta, uh, who's mm. the uh, exec producer of Goodness Gracious Me. And he approached me afterwards and said, we're looking for another woman uh, in comedy. You know, there's no one around and we, we're doing this show. We're going to call it Peter Sellers is Dead. It was meant to be a tribute to Peter Sellers being the one white actor who could do Indian really well. Um, oh, yes, never, of course. Yeah, absolutely. And we never called it that, though. It ended up being called Goodness Gracious Me, which is based on his song that he did with Sophia Loren. And so we then, you know, next thing I know, we've been told it's going to be on radio. It's a radio show. And, you know, would you come and we'll do a one-off night at the Riverside Studios in Hammersmith. And uh, from that, why don't we at that point, you know, see if we can get it on television? So I was like very nervous because I've never done TV. I'd only ever done theater. I'm a theater girl. So anyway, off and we did this sort of performance. And next thing I know, they're like, oh my gosh, we got a slot on radio. And uh, if the radio slot goes well, um, in three months, it's going to be on television. And we're like, what? So everything happened really, really, really quickly. And next thing I know is uh, we'd already made the first series of Goodness Gracious Me. And then I'd gone to Canada uh, to be with my sister. And that's when I met my now husband, who actually said to me, so are you famous in the UK? And I went, no, no one knows who I am. I said, I'm a theatre actress. I flew back after Goodness Gracious Me had been on. And in the street, people are like, hey, Nina, how are you? And I'm going, what? What's happening? <laughs> Why do people know who I am? And it was just crazy. It all happened so fast. I couldn't get over it. And the biggest shock to me, I'll be honest, guys, the biggest shock was I was happy enough for the Indian community to love this show, to see what we were doing, because we made fun of everyone. We made fun of ourselves, mm. most importantly. We made fun of all the different religions in the South Asian community. Oh, yes. We, you know, we went for everyone. We went for white people. We went for black people, for Chinese people. We just, it was the time when you could be hugely politically incorrect, but in a very warm way. It wasn't a nasty way. It was just a very warm way that we made fun of all the crazy little foibles that we have. You know, we had the competitive mums. We had Mr. India. We had the aubergine lady who was based on my own I'm mom. Laughing, thinking about it all. <laughs> so before we knew it, this show just was taken up by the, the Brits. You know, they just loved it. They took us under their wing. And that the most iconic sketch ended up being going for an English, you know. Oh, that sketch is so funny. (laughs) Well, it was based on our experience as Indians sitting with white friends, uh, you know, in an Indian restaurant. So we decided to flip it. And next thing I know, everyone's talking about this sketch. And I remember even when I've read it, because I think Sanjeev was, no, it was Sharat Sardana and Richard Pinto, I think, who'd written it. And, you know, before we knew it, we were like, this is crazy. People really get what we're trying to do here. And then next thing we know, there's another series commissioned. So it was like, oh, my gosh, my world's going to change now. (laughs) Yeah. Just fantastic. Do you know what? I'm, you know, I'm in a privileged position to be able to speak to you about it. And I've got to say, 
you know, I'm the type of person I am, I love making our rich heritage accessible to the masses. That's what I'm all about. The reasons why I, I am like that is because of shows such as Goodness Gracious Me. Goodness Gracious Me was the show. And like you say, you know, it, it made light of so many different um, cultural and political aspects of, of, of our lives, but in a really humorous and lighthearted way. And it made things okay for so many people and it actually helped break down those cultural barriers i had you know white friends uh, making cultural cultural uh, references and being able to share um, our experiences and the show just did that so well do you think that is something that's missing right now especially given the heightened political climate that we live in yeah, i think it's hugely missing i think you know like even with execs right now i have a real battle because they keep saying, oh, we want BAME things, we want woke things, we want you know, everybody to be treated equally. And, you know, if I was a white actor with the kind of career that I have, I feel I'd be a lot further ahead than I am now. Mm. Um, that's how I genuinely feel. And, but you can't, like, again, I go back to, you know, always just letting the universe and, you know, guide you in, in where you need to be and what you need to be doing. So I'm quietly sitting down, I'm writing stuff, I'm trying to kind of make things work. But the thing that angers me about the execs is that they say all this stuff, but then when you give them the material, you're still always playing the best friend or the girl next door or, you know, second in command. You don't really get to, to lead the way, which is mm -hmm. such a shame. It's such a shame. And, you know, yes, things are changing, but they're not changing fast enough. You um, know... If I'm honest, if I'm honest, I feel yeah. like, particularly for the South Asian community in the UK, things have actually gone backwards a little bit. Yeah, I feel the, you like know, the well. the glass ceiling is still there. There is a glass ceiling. I think yeah. you know we we smashed some of it before, yeah. but I think we've kind of gone back a little bit. I mean, growing up, I remember. I know it's a simple thing, but you know, Ishuri Rai was uh, her face. She was a face of L'Oreal. You yeah. know, she she was in every super drug. We yeah. had um, Bride and Prejudice. Mm -hmm. Even when I was younger, we had shows such as Baji on the Beach. We had Goodness Gracious Me. It was, uh, and then it sort of it was a slow descent. And now you just don't have any. Anything. And even some of the South Asian shows that have come about, yeah. I feel like they're either um, exploitative or they're very caricaturish. It's yeah. not. It's then you know. It's not putting us in the best light. And I agree. It's a frustration. I agree entirely. It is a huge frustration. It's been there for years and years. And you know, the only thing that will change it is literally chipping away at it slowly and slowly and slowly because. Anytime there is a grand gesture made, it's only made very briefly and then it's taken away again. Yes. Um, oh, absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I can't, you know, the number of producers even, I mean, we're not big personalities at all, but the number of producers that we get who say, oh, you know, we're looking for people in Bradford that are just real characters. What you're looking for are just a load of dodgy brown people that you just yeah. want to make fun of in a show. Oh, yeah. we, we and and I just that. say, no, that, 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 I'm not going to help with that. Sorry, yeah. that, that's not what we're about. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I understand entirely. And, you know, I've been saying this for about 30 odd years. So like, it, it's a case of not giving up. And it's a case of also giving a leg up to the next gen generation coming up. Because, mm. you know, it's, it's like you guys will then lead the front and then people will approach you when you're a bit older. And it's about giving back so that we can keep chipping away until finally one day, you know, you know, we'll actually be told, OK, fine, you can head up this show. Go on, you can do it.
But Absolutely. It, it, so it is a struggle, guys. It is. And and sadly, that's just the way of the world. It's the truth. Oh, we're, we're, not gonna, we're not going to uh, stop. Absolutely. And, and you know what? As far as uh, paving the way for the next generation, I, I, I have to come on to EastEnders because that is... That is where Zainab really did it with, you know, the, the, the character and, and, and being such an integral part of that show. I'm going to hand over to my husband now. Incredibly. Yeah. You know, I used to sit there and I used to watch it with my mum growing up. It was, it was a family affair watching EastEnders. Yeah. You know, everything. And when you and your family came in as Zainab and the family, it, it was phenomenal. Like, oh, thank you. it was just, you know, you were obviously hilarious. <laughs> Gritty storylines. Oh my God, your acting is just so good. Oh, so, so good. So kind. And, you know, how was that experience for you playing one of the most <laughs> legendary characters? <laughs> it well, um, it, sort of, it came back in a very odd way. I'd never thought of going into soap. I'm not a, a big soap fan at all. Um, and I, if I remember correctly, I was doing the vagina monologues up and down the country. And I, when I finished that, the casting director for EastEnders approached me and said, look, we want you to create a, a character that is, it's, she's kind of like Pauline Fowler. And I remember going, I don't know who Pauline Fowler is because I didn't know <laughs> what EastEnders. So they sent me tapes of Wendy Richards and I looked at the character and I thought, gosh, she's a grumpy old bee. <laughs> I'm like, how on earth do I make that funny? Um, my husband said, be yourself, by the way, just so you know. But um, anyway, <laughs> I, I was like, okay. Uh, so I was racking my brain. And I thought, hang on a minute. When you're grumpy, you're miserable. And when you're miserable, you don't really care about someone else's feelings. So if someone asked, uh, you know, the characters coming up with, so Zainab, if someone asked Zainab, hey, auntie, does my bum look big in this? She'd go, yes, that's too tight on you. Now, the audience would find that funny because they'd be like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe she said that. And she'd go, what, you asked me, so I told you. <laughs> you know, it's that, that kind of bluntness that comes with characters that can be very funny. So I went to them and I said, OK, I've got an idea for how to play her. And they loved it. So next thing I know, they said, OK, so she's a postmistress. She works in the post office and she's a single mom with a daughter. So I was like, OK. And now in real life. I just had a baby. So I was uh, a bit nervous going onto this set that's quite iconic. And, you know, everybody, like, even though I wasn't a soap fan, I know that loads of people around the world are soap fans. So I wanted to make sure I got it right. And uh, I started to come up and play with this character. And her lines were wicked. Her lines were really dark and quite abrupt and funny. And so I started to find her. And then I said to them, I went, why am I a single mom with a daughter? Why don't I have a whole big family? I don't understand. They were like, well, we haven't established your daughter, so you could have a husband and kids. Next thing I know, I've got a nice big family. So I'm like, yay, this is great. <laughs> and Nitin, who played Masood, now Nitin and I have played husband and wife for about 18 years at that point. Um, you know, we'd met in mm. so many different productions. Um, so we kind of knew each other anyway. So that really helped with the chemistry on set because... You know, we know each other personally. We know each other's families personally. So there was a, a language that was already established with us. And um, next thing I know, they've kind of thrown all these stories. And then I was the one who kind of said, well, look, I said, why don't we give us a challenging story? One in which, you know, there's some kind of growth for the family. 
So um, we came up with a, a gay Muslim son because we thought that would be a good storyline to show that actually this is, this is um, uh, you know, a community and a side of the community that's not been represented and certainly not been represented in, on mainstream TV in, in the UK. So um, the auditions wow. held and uh, Mark Elliott, who I think he's one eighth Indian, <laughs> um, he, <laughs> he came on to audition and Mark and myself just hit it off straight away. Apart from the fact that he's, of course, completely easy on the eye. Um, <laughs> the fact that he's just fun, you know. So next thing I know, we, we start storyline. And the hardest thing for me, guys, was the fact that here I was in real life, you know, kind of, I have nothing but gay male friends. I had to play a homophobic woman. <laughs> and that was hard for me because, you know, it's so against my nature and so against who I am as a human being. But, you know, I had to embrace that for the character. And that brought up a lot of issues. My fan mail was so interesting. It went from being kind of these people just think oh my god she's so funny we love her can you you know send us an autograph blah 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 to who do you think you are to you know say oh, that there are even gay pakistanis in the world and i'm like are you for real leave it but it's it's Seriously? real <laughs> it's real we're here we we exist yeah, yeah. oh my gosh yeah. wow so people I, and also people find it difficult to differentiate between the character and the actor playing the character right hugely uh, was in a supermarket and it was after a particularly horrible scene i think it was a, it was at his wedding and where i just went oh my gosh you're disgusting you're going to get married blah 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 all of this you know awful stuff and i remember this woman in my local bloody sainsbury's coming up to me she <laughs> bashes her trolley into my trolley and then she comes and whacks me on the arm and oh, my like, God, oh, oh my and gosh. She, yes, she was Irish. And she shouted at me. She said, you're disgusting. She goes, my son's gay and you're disgusting. And I'm like, whoa. I'm like, that's not me. That's my character. And oh I so gosh. wanted to run up to her and go, no, 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 I'm not like that. But I, I was just in shock that she whacked me on the arm. And that's I terrible. got that's home really and I burst for. into tears because I was like, that's so unfair but that's when i realized story is it's it's affected not just the pakistani community this has affected anyone who knows anyone you know within either their family or or friends who've been through something like this and it's it's uh, you know in a lot of relationships a lot of especially south asian mothers i think can behave that way in that very kind of cold uh, sort of cutting off way which I think is really hard on the child I don't think it's fair on the child it was a very it, it, it was very evocative that whole thing it brought out a lot of emotions it brought up a lot of anger in people but but you know I needed them to know that this was going to be a three-year arc for this story that was the point of doing it was yeah. Zainab needed to learn the lesson that actually the love for your child is more important than what you think is uh, either a negative, either religious element in your life or whether you think it's, you know, forbidden or it's this or that. Whatever your issue is with actually homosexuality, 
the truth of the matter is the love for your child should be more important than anything, you know, and wow. that's what I wanted Zainab to go through. And boy, did she ever, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so it was a challenge. In a lot of ways, it was a challenge to, to play her. But I absolutely loved her. I, I loved her. But towards the end of the, you know, when I needed to leave, um, my, my husband literally said, my real life husband, because by the way, at one point, I had my real husband, I had my on-screen husband, and I had my on-screen ex-husband. And I was like, oh, I, I can that. barely cope with one marriage, let alone three <laughs> freaking marriages. <laughs> That's incredible. Um, but he turned around, my, my real husband turned around to me and he went, you know what? He goes, you're turning into this woman. He goes, you got to leave the show. She's driving me mad. <laughs> <laughs> so they, they, Extenders put you through it. The storylines you threw at you. Oh, boy, did they ever. And you know when, so after the, the gay story, and then they said, oh, we're bringing in an ex-husband for you. And I remember thinking, oh, gosh. And my, I was sad because in a way, I kind of knew that was going to be the beginning of me wanting to leave. And the reason is, they brought me into that show to lighten it and to make it funny and to, you know, just uh, do do something that a lot of people couldn't do. And instead, they gave me one of the darkest, heaviest storylines. And it really worked bad on me. It just it didn't sit well with me. And mm. it got to the point. I mean, the, the, the actual big scene on Christmas Day when um, Ace, who played my husband, um, he we had this scene that we had a stunt coordinator for where he has to shove my head uh, out of the upstairs window and hold it out. And he's very tall and I'm very short. And to do the stunt, I had to be up on my tippy toes to, to get my head out the window. So basically no. I'm doing most of the movement, but it's still, it has to be some realism. So he does have to actually pull my hair and drag me and stuff. Mm. And we mistimed the window moment and I broke a rib uh, when we were filming that. And oh, I remember gosh. I was in so much pain. And I, I remember thinking when I was going home in my car, I thought that was me just pretending that thing, you know, but then I actually got hurt. Imagine someone who's really living through that. And I just sobbed all the way home because I, it, it became very real in that moment what women who are going through, or even men who are going through a, a domestic violence situation must really be living through. And that's why I, uh, I became a campaigner, um, which I am currently even right now for the Commonwealth, for their campaign, you know, to stop domestic violence and domestic abuse. Um, Amazing. Uh, it, it does, when you play something for a long time, it, it does make, you know, you really think about what people are going through. And I don't know if you guys know, but during the pandemic, as far as I know, incidences of domestic violence have gone up by 400%. Yeah. 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 Which is crazy. That is it's, staggering. It is. It really is. So I always, I, I'm sure you guys are the same. I feel the vibe of you that, you know, things happen in life for a reason. Um, mm. And definitely, uh, I think the Zainab character was created so that, I can help people more than anything else. 
Absolutely. Oh, that's really incredible and really uh, inspiring as well. Absolutely. I mean, you know, it, it is art. And, and I always say that, you know, in my opinion, art imitates life. And, you know, you your character had such a strong point of view. And, it, and it's good that it made people feel uncomfortable because it forces them to think about what's going on in their own lives and in, and in their own homes. That's incredible. In, in, in terms of the um, work you do around uh, domestic violence, tell us yeah. a, a little bit uh, more about that. I, I, I didn't know that. Yes, sure. I mean, there's, there's two big campaigns in my life. One is uh, the domestic violence campaign. So the Commonwealth uh, recently decided to get involved because, you know, um, they've, they know that domestic violence happens all over the world. And they found that during the pandemic, there was a massive increase. So they've they approached anybody who has had any kind of voice speaking out for people who have been uh, domestically abused to just stand up to say they're not going to take anymore. They're not going to tolerate anymore and to speak up because there is help out there. So even I think um, I've, if you look on my Instagram feed, I've got uh, a lot of information on there of who they can contact. And, you know, please speak up about it. Don't live in this situation get out as fast as you can it's it's as hard as it is in your life it, freedom is more important i think we were talking about this earlier freedom is more important than anything else you know you value that yeah so that's one of my big campaigns and the other one is um for jdrf uh, which stands for juvenile diabetes research fund um three years ago my son got diagnosed with type 1 diabetes um and it was a big shock to our family. Um, we, I didn't even know what type one was compared to type two. It's very random. It can affect anybody at any time. And it basically means that for the rest of his life, before he eats anything, he will have to inject insulin and it can be fatal. So my entire focus three years ago went from, you know, just having my little life with my 2.4 children to suddenly going, okay, we're going to find the cure for this horrible autoimmune disease. So that's the other big charity that I support because JDRF does everything for prevention, treatment and cure. And I'm hoping that by, you know, people finding the cure for this sooner rather than later, that less kids when they get diagnosed with it certainly will suffer, less adults will suffer. Um, and we just eradicate it from the face of the earth. Um, so those are my two big campaigns. Fantastic. Wow. And that that sounds absolutely incredible and more power to you. And um, they, you. they sound like such great causes. Yeah, there are. I mean, everyone has, you know, whatever they're going through in their life. Um, you know, they, they need to uh, support and be strong. And I'm sure you guys are doing absolutely the same. You know, the, the, there's a whole thing about just constant giving back, isn't there, in life? Mm. You just do that. So, do what you love, genuinely do what you love. And I know you guys are, I can feel it, feel the energy from you. That, you know, <laughs> you're doing something that gives you great joy in life and makes you happy in life. I agree. I think that's, that's a really important message as well for everyone to listen to. Well, it has been an absolute pleasure speaking to you, Nina. Our last question is, sure. what does the future hold for nina what should we be looking <laughs> oh, yeah. out for is there going to be a goodness gracious me part two or are you doing <laughs> other stuff what's going on well uh a few things i i'm just about to start a new netflix series which i wish i could tell you all the name and whatever about but i've you know they make you sign these ndas so you cannot say anything um <laughs> but it's kind of cool it's something i've never done before so i'm very excited about that 
Um, I've got this Christmas. What I can tell you about is this Christmas, um, there's a movie out right now called A Gift from Bob, which is the sequel to um, A Street Cat Named Bob. So I'm in that. Uh, So that's kind of fun. I'm in a uh, podcast called High Strangeness, in which I play an alien. (laughs) So that's out, out right now. I've got a Channel 4 thing coming out next year uh, to do with um, memory. It's a show called Can I Improve My Memory? So that's going to be exciting. Um, it's it's a lot of fun. We have to learn some crazy stuff within you know a week at a time. Um, and the other thing, it's called Max. It's a, a comedy about an aging pop star who wants to revive his career. And I play the devil and I play her as an Arabic woman. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that. I love that. That is incredible. That is so... Wow, you're doing a lot. Yeah, booked yeah. and blessed. That's amazing. Thank you. I've just sort of just kept going on whatever bits I can. I mean, obviously work had... A lot of this I'd filmed uh, before the pandemic um, and a little bit after. But during the pandemic, March till August, it was deathly quiet. And it was brilliant in a way because... You know, we spent a lot of time together as a family. It was kind of nice to actually spend time with my teenagers who I thought would be horrendous because, you know, they are teenagers after all. I call them a different breed of animal, I'll be honest. Um, But um, it, it turned out to be good. It turned out to be healthy. So I'm just hoping that this awful, awful virus goes away and that we have a lovely vaccine that will protect all of us so we can get our lives back and be happy again 100%. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, look, Nina, it has been an absolute pleasure speaking to you. It certainly is a thing that I can tick off my bucket list now. But but, but I do feel like this conversation is um, not entirely finished. So we would love to have you (laughs) on again. (laughs) Sure, I'm sure we will do that. We must. Maybe when my Netflix series comes out, let's do it then. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Sure. Oh, absolutely. I can't wait. Well, thank you very, very much, thank Nina. So much. We love you, but you, you don't, don't love me. Bye. <laughs> and exhale. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> that was so exciting. So exciting. <laughs> Literally. But, like, can we just talk about how quickly this thing came about? Because we wanted her on the show, and then she literally replied within. Well, when the conversation started going, we were just, we had such back and forth. And I was like, oh my God. And then you were like, when are you free? We need to record now. And I was like, what? It literally happened the day of. So quickly, yeah. It was ridiculous. Like, I'm gagged. Yeah. And next minute, you know, we're in front of Nina. And we're both like, we're both like, you've got this, babe. And he's like, you've got this, babe. And I said, I was saying to Amir, I'm like, babe, I'm going to be too excited. You're going to have to really take the reins on this one. Yeah, before we started recording, I was like, sorry, Nina, I'm really excited. And then he looked at me like, no, I'm a mess. And she was like, it's all right, love, calm down. Well, she didn't say (laughs) that. She She was a lot more gracious than that. But yeah, because I was like, oh my gosh, like, and also, what I really wanted to say, but I didn't say it, was like, quote, lines from Goodness Gracious Me. <laughs> I really wanted to do the air stewardess thing, like, God damn it, bullshit to hell, yeah. But obviously, <laughs> we can't do it. So literally, when she was talking in my head, you know what my head's yeah, like? Yeah, you're a mess. I was just like, she was like, yep, so I did this, and this happened, and this was amazing. And I'm like, God damn it, bullshit to hell, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, no, I may do not say it. <laughs> it, it was just... Oh, I'm so happy about it. Like, I feel so good. 
It was just a brilliant interview. It was a brilliant yeah. time. It was lovely. It was wholesome. It was someone that we both really admire and admire growing up. It was someone that was on our TV in our homes growing up. And it's, it was really weird and surreal. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that our conversation is unfinished. I, I, I said that. I was like, I feel like we're going to talk again. And now we're best friends. Yeah, I do feel <laughs> an energy and I do feel... Um, a warmth. Do you know what I mean? There, yeah. there is a positive vibe there, and I, I can, I can. Yeah, who knows what might happen when and where? But um, yeah, I, we would love to have her on again. She's amazing. Always. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Um, is that all what we have? That's time all for? we have time for yeah, today. Like my adrenaline's crashed now. <laughs> thank like, you for listening. Thankfully, we've got a jingle now to sort that out. Yes, but thank you very much for listening, guys. Uh, we love you. You don't love me, obviously. And um, till yeah. next time, let us know how your lives are going in the meantime. What's going on? What's happening? Is lockdown happening? Not happening? Are you observing lockdown? Are you not observing lockdown? Are you a cultural lockdownist? Tell us everything. Is this your adrenaline crashing girl? I don't know, man. My mind's all over the place. Um, thank Bye. you very much. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to the You Don't Love Me podcast with Amir and Amir. Follow us on Instagram at You Don't Love Me Boys. Follow us also on Twitter at YDLM Boys. And you can also email us on You Don't Love Me Boys at Outlook.com. Thank you very much for listening. Bye.